If you have a Bible, open up, please, to John chapter 15. And I want us to read out loud the first eight verses of this together, John 15, 1 through 8. I'm going to read from the New King James Version, uh, as usual. But if you have a different translation, that's all right. By the way, there are about a half a dozen that I use on a regular basis, translations. Because, you know, the Bible was written in the Old Testament in Hebrew, the New Testament in Greek. So it wasn't written in English. And so these English translators are helping us to hear the words of God and to understand them. And some of the more word-for-word translations are helping us to get the equivalent words in English. And then some of the more thought-for-thought translations are helping us to get more of the understanding, but they add words to do it. So it's not all the actual equivalent words, but it's more of the understanding, see? And so they're all good, So, but I like the New King James, of course. I like the New American Standard Bible, NASB. I like the English Standard Bible, ESV. I like the NIV. The NIV is still the most popular out there. And I like the NLT, the New Living Translation. And I also like the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, which was the HCSB, the Holman's Christian Standard, but the the new version, they dropped the H. But those are the six that I use more predominantly. But there are many others that I can name, the CEV, the the MEV, the New Century uh, Version and such, the Good News Bible. There are many that I will use because... Different scholars have written these, and they say it in a little different way, and sometimes like, oh, I just, yeah, that's, that brought the understanding. It may not be a word-for-word equivalent, but it was the understanding that, of what the Lord was saying, and maybe in that particular scenario. So the point is this, that just because we use a variety of translations, that doesn't divide us. That just lets us know that we're learning from different scholars that bring out different, um, the word in different ways. So, but let's read from the New King James Version. If you don't have that, follow along on the screens. Let's read John 15, verses 1 to 8. And let's read it not like it's just, you know, some newspaper or something, but these are the words of God in here, specifically Jesus himself. So here we go. 1 through 8, loudly and together, let's read. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now, we started off a few weeks ago with the title of this series, the first lesson called Abiding in Jesus. And then we took a week, and we went to Psalm 91, and we focused on the secret place. And by the way, if you haven't heard these messages... I would encourage you, this is one of these series that is just central. It is foundational. As I said early on, 
the most important topic for an unbeliever is to hear the gospel, that Jesus is the way and to receive that message. But once you're a believer, I can think of no more important topic than fellowshipping with Jesus. First, you need a relationship with Jesus. But once you come into relationship, it's like coming into a marriage. Now let's talk about you fellowshipping with one another, coming into unity and, and enjoying and fostering that relationship. And so I can think of mo- no more important topic than the fellowship with Jesus uh, for a believer. So if you haven't heard these, then go pick them back up. They're on YouTube, either the, the Rock YouTube channel or the Jerry Dearman YouTube channel. They're also on some podcasts. We put them out in a variety of ways. And just pick them up and let the Lord minister these to you because this is Jesus inviting all believers to come in fellowship with him. So we talked about abiding in the word the third week or through the word we talked about abiding in prayer. Today I want to talk about rhema prayers. And this is this revelation that came uh, to me and I'm just really excited about it. So here we go. Ready? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Lord, bring this across to us, not only to us who are here in this room in the overflow, but also to those who are watching online. Lord, precious people or listening to this later in the name of Jesus, minister it in real time to them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, John 15, let's look at verse two. Jesus said, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Every, every branch in me. What does that mean, in me? Well, not everybody is in Jesus. <clears throat> in fact, sometimes we misspeak, and, and not necessarily intentionally, but sometimes we misspeak and, and we'll say something like this. Well, we're all children of God, talking about everybody on earth. Well, we're all children of God. Well, that's not technically true, though. We're all creations of God. We were all created in his image and in his likeness. That's the truth. And he loves us all. That's the truth. And he wants us all to be children of God. That's the truth. But because of sin, we've all been separated from God. And only through Jesus can we come and now be a child of God. Isn't that right? So we just have to be wary. I don't mean correct people. But we have to be wary when people make these blanket statements, well, we're all children of God, as if we're all in the same category. We're not. There are two major categories. You're either in or you're out. And you only get in through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No matter where you were born, what religion or non-religion you were taught, you cannot get eternal life and forgiveness of sins in relationship with God except through Jesus. Isn't that right? So when he's talking here and he says in verse two, every branch in me, he's talking about those that come into relationship with him. He's the true vine. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, notice he takes away, even if you're in me. You need to bear fruit. The father is unaccepting of people who want to come and just receive I just want to go to heaven, but I don't want to do what you tell me to do on the earth. That is not an acceptable relationship. I want Jesus to make all the sacrifices and to bless me and me to make none to bless anybody else. Jesus said, that's not an accepting relationship. No, freely you've received, freely give. Isn't that right? This is the way we work in this kingdom. We're not about ourselves. We're about, yes, receiving the goodness of the Lord. We need him first. But having received from him, now we need to give. So every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, every branch. Now, a branch is, of course, 
applied to a person, every person that bears fruit, every person that's in Jesus that bears fruit, the Father prunes. But this could also be applied to a, a ministry, to a family, every branch like a ministry branch of the kingdom of God that bears fruit. The Father wants to prune that branch so that it bears more fruit. You can see that this can be applied several ways. But let's just, let's just look at it as a person because that's certainly an application. Every branch in me, every person in me, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every person that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He prunes, he prunes. Now, the English word prunes is from the Greek word kasairo, kasairo. And it means to cultivate, tend, cut back the growth of a plant in order for it to grow healthier and to produce more fruit. Now, we're used to that. We understand that, right? That there are some branches, say on a, a grapevine, where they're not bearing fruit, they're not going to bear fruit, but they're there and they keep sucking the sap and the life. And so good farmers will take all those branches away and only let the fruit-bearing branches get the life of the vine. Isn't that right? And this is exactly the metaphor that Jesus is using with us. He wants to prune these things. So kathairo is a verb that comes from an adjective that is kasaros. Katharos, and katharos just happens to be found in the very next verse. Look at verse 3. Jesus said, you are already clean, katharos. So he says, every branch that bears fruit, the Father prunes, kathairo, and you're already pruned is what he's saying. So this, this word, katharos, you're already clean, this word is a word that means pure, clean, spotless, but it, it is applied in the New Testament for innocent, free of guilt and sin. In other words, Jesus is saying to these 11, you have already been freed of guilt and sin and spots and wrinkles and attitudes and character deficiencies and past mistakes and such. That's all been cleaned off of you. That's what he's telling the 11. That's all been cleaned off of you. That's all been cleaned off. Isn't that good? Now, think about this. He's talking to the 11 because they started with 12 in the upper room. You remember this? And then there's that exchange where he said, the one that I dip this bread and hand it to him, he's, he's the one that's going to betray me. And he hands it to Judas and he tells him, what you do, do quickly. And Judas went and sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. Do you remember this? Now, think about this. Jesus is talking to all 12. Now, watch this. He says, you're already clean because of the word. You're already clean because of the word. The word, the Greek word translated word here is logos or logos. Logos, this is the logos. You're already clean because of the word. But notice he didn't stop there. He didn't say, you're already pruned and you're already clean because of the word. Now, let me just push pause and I'm going to come right back to this. Jesus said, every branch that bears fruit, the Father prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And you're already pruned. You're already cleaned up and ready to bear more fruit. Now, we know he was telling the truth. Because, see, this is the night before Jesus dies. Tomorrow morning, he's going to be crucified. By 3 o'clock, he's going to die. The third day, he's going to be raised from the dead. Forty days later, he's going to ascend back to the Father. And these 11 <laughs> changed the world. He's not just giving them encouragement. He's telling them this process that I used with you is it going to change the world. And this is what he's saying to you. I want to use you to change the world. 
work with me here. Listen to me. You're already clean, he told them, because of the logos. But he didn't stop there. He didn't just say, you're clean because of the word. Notice he said, you are already clean because of the logos, which I have spoken to you. You're not, they didn't just take the scroll of the Old Testament, which is all they had, and tuck it under their arm and say, okay, it's going to prune me. Okay, now that side's pruned. Let me put it over on this side and get, get this side pruned. Let me put it up here and get this pruned. No, no. See, it, it's not just that, oh, there's a Bible and I have a Bible, and so it prunes me. No, Jesus said, you were pruned because of the logos that I have spoken to you. I have taken the logos and I've been speaking it to you and to parts of your life. I've been speaking this to you. I have used the word, but I've spoken it to you. So he's saying, as I was teaching the word of God to you, I was directing that word to specific areas of your life. Your lives that were limiting you, they were hindering you, they were holding you back from supernatural fruitfulness, they were keeping you from getting your prayers answered. They were keeping you from walking into the calling that I have called you to. And as I spoke these things to you, you yielded to what I was saying. You received, you repented of things that I was pruning away from you. You obeyed me. And because I, you have brought yourself into close proximity with me and you heard me speak the logos to you, and apply it to you, and you've opened your heart and yielded to it and received it and let these things be pruned, you are ready to bear supernatural fruit. And they were, and they did. Is that true? See, this, this process is powerful. Except one. Who was there the whole time until in that last supper when he left and he went and did the unthinkable. So what does that mean? That means you could be right there in close proximity and hear him speak the word to you. And Jesus was trying to prune that greed and that love of money out of him. And he was right there nodding his head with everybody else and saying, amen. But in his heart, he resisted it. He didn't yield to it. He didn't receive it. He didn't confess that that was sin in his heart. He held on to it. And that which he held on to dragged him, it seems, to hell. Why do we think that? Why do I think that? Because Jesus said later, it would have been better for that man if he had never been born. So this is not just about receiving the word, hearing the word. It's what we do with it. Do we receive it? Do we receive it? Because the Lord's trying to prune things in our lives. I remember when I was 18, I, I rehearse often the story like Paul would rehearse the story of his encounter on the road to Damascus, like Peter would rehearse his story about Cornelius' house and seeing the... the sheet come down from heaven three times in the vision and such. When, when you have an encounter that radically changes you, you want to go back to that because there's a way that you were changed. 
And during that season, uh, I was bound with lust. I was 18 years old. Uh, I had a low self-esteem. I, I knew something's wrong. I'd been raised to serve Jesus. I'd been raised to be obedient to God. But I knew something's got a hold of me here. And I can't shake this free. And so I'd pray and I'd call on God and I'd repent. And I'd read my Bible and everything. But I wasn't breaking free here. But right there early on after I got out of high school, I was dating a, a gal. And we only dated there three months. I had dated her three months before, but the Lord got on me and said, she's not a believer. She was Catholic, but she was not born again. She had not received eternal life. See, she was a good gal. But nonetheless, so I'd broken out before, but now that she had come to the Lord, then I got back together with her and such. But whenever I would come to read the word and to be with the Lord, I would hear Jesus speaking to me and saying, no, that's not for you. This relationship's not for you. He, he never said this is a bad person. She was not a bad person. It had nothing to do with the quality of her. It was not the time for me to be in a relationship. It was not the person for me to be in a relationship with. And Jesus knew it. He knew, I need you with me right now. You need to be healed. You need to be delivered. You need to, you need to get our relationship shored up and solid. See, but my emotions wanted Jesus and her. I mean, I was tied in with her emotionally. And, but the Lord was saying this. And, he, and every time I would come, I'm coming to, to be right with God and I want to hear from you. But I'd hear Jesus telling me. And he tells these guys, you're clean. Because over the last two and a half years, because of the logos that I spoke to you. And this was what was happening to me. It was early on. It wasn't two and a half years later. It was early on. But he's speaking. And he's speaking. And he's speaking. And he's not, he's not shutting up. Every time I come, I hear him in my heart saying, this relationship has to go. It has to, be, it has to end. And I heard my mom saying it, too. And when you're 18 and your mom says it, you want <clears throat> to say, I'm 18 years old. And now looking back on a statement like that, uh, I can interpret that, and it sounds like this. I'm immature. <laughs> but thank God, by continuing to come to Jesus, somehow I found the strength. And I walked down about three-quarters of a mile from our house to a payphone. Anybody remember those? This is 1982, Okay. <laughs> There's not cell phone, you know, times. This is just before, you know, the cell phone started really hitting the streets. But uh, I'm 18 years old. I walked down. I put my change in a payphone, and with tears coming down my eyes and tears from her, I ended this and let her know that the Lord is telling me this has to happen, but it's not because you're a bad person. This is just what he's saying to me. And let me just tell you, my experience was not, and then I hung up the phone, and the peace of God and joy filled my heart, and everything was great. That's, that wasn't my experience. It was so painful. I cried and cried, and I think this went on for several months. It was so painful. But let me tell you, looking back on this now, I can tell you, oh, Thank you, Jesus. Not because I was a bad person, but because the Lord had 
uh, something he needed to do in me, and he also had a partner for me that at the time was named Kimberly Diaz, but I'd never met her. And, but now, having met her and having married her, oh, let me tell you, I could have missed. I could have missed this gal. Because this, this was the partnership that the Lord had so that we could accomplish the will of God in the earth together. Now, could God do it without Kimberly? Maybe. No, I'm not. <laughs> That's not true, but tell her I said that, would you? <laughs> yes, of course he can. But it was the will of God. See, but at the time, my emotions said everything but. But this is what Jesus does. And let me tell you, some of the things that the Lord needs to prune off of you are big like that, like a relationship. That's very painful. And some of the things that the Lord needs to prove and prune off of you are just not that big, but it, it needs to be pruned. Let me give you an example. Do you remember at that same Last Supper, Jesus started off by uh, putting a towel around him, getting a basin of water, and he went and washed each disciple's feet, including Judas. He washed all their feet. And he came to Simon, Peter, and Peter said respectfully, Lord, no, you'll never wash my feet. He wasn't being arrogant. He was saying, no, I want to be the one to wash your feet, not you washing mine. He was trying to be respectful. And Jesus said something to him, as he typically would, that was much broader than the topic at hand. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. He didn't say, if I don't wash your feet. He said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter said, well, Lord, then wash my head and my hands also. And Jesus said, no, he who's bathed only needs his feet washed. And in this, Jesus was telling us something. He was saying, listen, you need to know something. You live in a corrupt world. It is sinful and contaminated. And just being on this earth, you're going to pick up things, things you see, things you hear, things that thoughts that come into your mind things that you touch or that touch you. And even though you're in me, there's a dirtiness that'll come on you. And if you and I don't have this relationship where you come back to me and let me wash you, you can't have a part. Because in this kingdom, we're clean. In this kingdom, we're pure like Father God. And if you won't let me wash these things away from you, then you're choosing to be dirty like the world and not to be like me. See, and so this is what the Lord is saying. So some of these things are just, oh, Lord, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that right? Jesus said, this just needs to be a thing between you and me because you're here. And you're subject to contamination and temptation and such. And you need to come back. Let me do my job. Let me serve you. Let me wash you. It's a precious thing, isn't it? It's a precious thing, his heart, to serve us, not to condemn. Come, let me wash you. And he's not saying, go live like hell and just come in and get washed every once in a while. But then you can do that. That's not what he's saying. Like some people would do, I just go to confession or whatever, but I can live any way I want to during the week. That's not what Jesus is saying. No, he wants to prune those things out of our lives that are unpleasing, right? That are 
unacceptable in the kingdom of God, but he forgives us. He forgives us. Now, let's look at verse 7. I'm, I'm laying the foundation here. I'm, well, I'm dancing around the revelation, okay? But the revelation comes in verses 7 and 8. Watch this. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. This is answered prayer. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Verse 8, by this, by this, by what? By you asking, by you asking what you desire and it being done for you, by this, my Father's glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. You will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you by this. By you asking what you desire and it being done for you, the Father is glorified and you bear much fruit. So this is how you bear much fruit. Directly, you're not going to bear fruit directly by what I say to you. You're going to bear fruit directly by what you say as a result of what I say to you. Are you seeing this? You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. The way you're going to bear much fruit has to do with what you say, but what you say has to do with what I say. Watch it again. Verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words, and my words, and the Greek word translated words here is not logos. This is rhema. See, you're already clean and pruned because of the logos I have spoken to you. Not just the logos, but the logos I have spoken to you. See, when you, when you come to the word, the promises of God are true. But that doesn't mean you believe them. But Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word rhema. Rhema of God, not just the logos of God. You don't only need to hear that God said it. You need to hear that God's saying it to you. It's one thing to hear that the Bible says, by his stripes we are healed. But it's another thing when you come and while you're hearing the message or while you're reading that text, you hear the Lord saying to you, I'm talking to you. By his stripes you are healed. And when you hear the Lord say it to you, it brings faith. See, it was true all along. But what brought faith is when you knew that God was saying, oh, no, this is for you. you. You qualified all along. We're not talking about whether or not you qualify or whether God's faithful to his promise. We're talking about whether you believe it. Faith that God is faithful, faith that the promise is true, comes when you hear the Lord saying it to you. Listen, you're already clean because of the logos I have spoken to you. How many of you can see this? Jesus is saying, it's not just, hey, you got a Bible? Good. Yeah, read it and you'll be good. No, you need me to speak it to you without me. You need to know what I'm saying to you, but I'm going to use the word to speak to you. But you need to hear what I'm saying to you from the word. How many of you can see this? Okay, now look back at verse seven. If you abide in me and my rhema, what I'm speaking to you, not just the logos, but what I'm saying to you, if my rhema abides in you, abides in you, what does that mean? You're not like Judas who heard it, you knew it was true, and you may not have opened your mouth and said, I reject what you're saying, Jesus, because Judas, we have no record of him doing that. He did, excuse me, he did reject it. 
But we have no record of him saying, I reject what you're teaching me right now about needing to prune the love of money and greed away. We have no record of him saying that, but he did. Down in his heart, he did not receive it. When Jesus taught about it, he did not confess it as sin and repent of it. He just heard it and did nothing with it. He didn't ask to be delivered from it. How many of you understand? See, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you receive what Jesus said and it comes into you and starts living in you, then this is what you're going to pray about. Oh, Lord, I see that my heart is incongruent with what you're saying. Lord, forgive me for that. Wash me. Cleanse me of that. See, you ask. You ask. He spoke something and you ask. You repent of it. You ask him for strength to walk away from that. How many of you can see this? Judas did not do that. But the Lord is calling us to do it. Thank God the other 11 did. And, and I want, I'm going to be part of the 11. How many join me being part of the 11? I'm not going to be that one. No. May no one hearing this today be that one. If you abide in me and my rhema words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So getting our prayers answered is how we'll glorify God and this is how we'll bear much fruit. And it's, but it's not just memorizing scripture. And memorizing scripture is good, but it's not just memorizing scripture. It's hearing what Jesus is say, saying to you through the word, which brings faith, and then praying that. It's hearing what Jesus is saying to you through the word, which brings faith, and then you opening your mouth and praying that. Notice the process. Jesus speaks, and then you speak, and then things happen. Jesus speaks, and then you speak, and then things happen. How many of you can see this? This is the revelation that opened up to me, this rhema, this rhema. If you abide in me and my rhema words abide in you, you'll ask. I'm speaking, and then you speak. I speak, and then you speak. I speak and then you speak. You know what it reminds me of? Jesus saying, I think in John chapter 8, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things that I hear from him. My assignment is not to speak what I want to speak. My assignment is to hear what the Father is saying and to speak that. I'm here as his representative on the earth. His words get into the earth by him speaking them to me and me speaking them here on earth. And now Jesus is saying the same thing. This is the relationship we need to have. You are my representative. You must hear what I'm saying. And when you hear me, then you speak what I'm saying. And when you ask after you hear me, it will be done and you'll bear much fruit. This is powerful. When the Lord speaks a rhema word to us, such as a correction, we need to respond. By repenting, declaring the change, and asking for strength to make that change. So as the Lord was, as I was writing this down this past Monday and jotting these notes and just seeing it, and it was, it was, uh, it was coming up in me from the Holy Spirit. You know, it, it's, it's simple, but I'm telling you, it's powerful. But the Lord reminded me as I was writing this down that this was not a new process Jesus was invoking. That this was the process of the Old Testament prophets. For example, 
Ezekiel 11, this is one of many examples, but in Ezekiel 11, 14, the prophet Ezekiel wrote this. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, watch, the word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. That would be the Hebrew equivalent of rhema in the New Testament. The Lord was speaking something in real time. It wasn't, it wasn't, I read in the Old Testament scriptures or I read in the book of Genesis. No, the word of the Lord came. He's speaking something in real time right now. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, your brethren, your relatives, your countrymen, and all the house of Israel in its entirety are those about whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, get far away from the Lord. This land has been given to us as a possession. Therefore, verse 16, say, therefore say. So the word of the Lord came to me and the word of the Lord told me to say. Can you see this? The word of the Lord came to me saying and the, Lord, the word of the Lord told me to say it. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary to them in the countries where they have gone. Verse 17, therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. I will give you. This is God saying, look, uh, and he'd been saying this through the prophets. If you read the Old Testament prophecies and, you know, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles, and then the prophets, you would know that the Lord had been saying to Israel and Judah in the south to obey him, to put away the idols, to put away the wickedness. And if, he, and if they didn't, then he was going to have to bring punishment to them and eventually throw them out of their own land that he gave them. Isn't that right? And that's exactly what happened. Generations went by and they persisted to do wickedness and sin and to disobey the Lord. And eventually he scattered them all over the world. But I want you to notice, even in that process, God had a heart that he didn't want them to be scattered forever. Why? Because he made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them this land. And God's determined to keep that covenant. So what does he do? The word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel and says, I want you to prophesy that even if I scatter them all over the world, that I will bring them back one day and give them the land of Israel. And you and I live in that day. I know it's a big controversy to a lot of people and there are many angles to it that are you know, worthy of discussing. But in its simplicity, as far as who the land belongs to, according to God, God says, I gave it to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It belongs to them. And even though they lost it through persistent disobedience, I prophesied through Ezekiel and other prophets that one day I would bring them back to this land. So now notice, why didn't God just say it himself and not go through the prophets? Why didn't God just say, one day I'm going to bring you back? Did you hear me? Wow, everybody's looking up at the sky. Who was that? Why did he say it to a human being to say it? Here's why. Because even though God is a sovereign God, he has authority over all. He owns everything. He chose from the very beginning of the creation in Genesis chapter 1 when he said, let us make man in our image, to go on to say, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over all the earth. And so he gave the dominion to man. And since then, God has been working through man. Even when Jesus came, he was God's mouthpiece on the earth. Isn't that right? Because he was a human being. So he had this human dominion that had been delegated by man. Every word of this Bible, we call this the word of God, and it is. 
But did you know, not one word in here came directly from God. Every, one, every word came through a human being. God is honoring his delegated authority to human beings. And this is why the process, that it doesn't just happen because God speaks it. It could, but the process that God honors is, no, I speak it to a human being, and then when they, with their human authority, speak it out into the earth, it stands. Because I declared they will have dominion. Can you see this? And so this is still what Jesus is talking about here, and this is what happened with the prophets. Now, let's relate it to prayer, though. That's prophecy, but let's relate it to prayer because Ezekiel prophesied that, but that passage doesn't talk about him praying for the people of Israel to return. It just talks about the prophecy. But let's relate it to prayer because what Jesus said in John 15, 7 is, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask, that's prayer, You'll ask, not just prophesy. You'll ask what you desire, and it shall be done. There's prayer. So let me use Elijah. You remember the prophet Elijah? In 1 Kings 17.1, the Bible says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Three and a half years didn't rain from that time he said it. Now, what it doesn't say in that passage is that the word of the Lord came to him and told him this, and that's why he was saying it, uh, because you could get the idea that he just said, you know what, I'm just going to go say this to Ahab. But that's not what happened. No, the word of the Lord had come to him and told him what to say, and we'll see this as we go on through the story. We'll see this pattern. But he heard from the Lord, and now he's going to speak this to Ahab. Okay, so he prophesies it. And certainly, from that time that he said it, it stopped raining. And it didn't rain till he said it was going to rain. So let's pick this up in the next chapter, 1 Kings 18, 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. This is three and a half years later, and you can see the, the pattern, the real process of how it works. The word of the Lord came and said, I'm going to send rain on the earth. Verse 2, so Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. Now, I'm going to skip about almost 40 verses because this is where the Carmel passage and calling fire down from heaven on the prophets of Baal and so on happens. So look down at verse 41. Then Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. So he's still prophesying this. He's still predicting this, isn't he? He's saying it. Why? Because the word of the Lord came to him and said, I'm going to send rain. So now Elijah is speaking. God spoke to him, and now he's speaking it out. He's prophesying it. But watch this. Verse 42, so Ahab went to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, the mountain. Then he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. What is he doing? He's praying. So see, he's prophesied it. He's received the word, believed it, and he prophesied it. But now he's praying. How many of you can see this? He's praying. And I'll show you definitively in just a moment that this was prayer. He bowed down to the ground, put his face between his knees. Verse 43. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea, the Mediterranean. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. Like the sky is blue. And so seven times he said, go again. What does that mean? He kept praying. You look, but I'm going to pray. And he just kept praying. And then he would say, Okay, now go look again. And he'd come back, blue skies. And he'd pray again. And then say, now go look again. And seven times. How many times would you do it? 
And by the way, we get the impression that this would have gone on longer than seven times. But something happened on the seventh time. So notice verse 44, then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand. How much rain is going to come from that? A drop? <clears throat> but watch this. Rising out of the sea, so Elijah said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down before the rain stops you. How many of you know this is faith? See, he's got faith. And he prophesied, and then he went and prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and prayed. And then the beginning of the breakthrough happened, and then he declared it again. Verse 45, now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel, okay? Now, I want to pick this up in the New Testament because sometimes the New Testament gives insight that we didn't catch in the Old Testament or wasn't written. James chapter 5, verse 17, watch this. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Now, that is not recorded in the New Testament, I mean, in the Old Testament. It just says he came and prophesied to Ahab. But notice here that James is telling us, no, he didn't just prophesy. He prophesied what the word of the Lord was, but he prayed earnestly. Why? Because he realized, I have a job on the earth. My job is to hear from God and to speak it out and pray it until it happens. Is that right? Can you see this? I have to pray this until it happens. Why? Because it must happen because the Lord told me he wants it to happen. And my job is to pray it through, not that I make it happen, but I need to stick with it. I need to have faith and I need to stick with this. And it says he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Verse 18, and he prayed again and the heaven gave rain. So that's how we know when he put his head between his knees that he was praying because the Bible says he was praying. He prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced fruit. So what is Jesus teaching us? He's teaching us about the power of prophetic prayers. Not just praying whatever you think of that comes to mind, but being close to Jesus, coming close to him in the word of God. And hearing not just what the Bible says, but hearing also what he's speaking to you. Letting things be pruned away from your life that are causing you to be out of alignment with the will of God. Out of alignment with God himself. You're not thinking right. Your thoughts are not his thoughts. Your ways are not his ways. And letting the word prune all that away and you coming into unity with the Lord. And then when he speaks, then you say it and you pray it. And you pray it and you pray it. But you're praying prophetic prayers. I call this rhema prayers, but it's also prophetic prayers. See, but notice the addition of praying, not just saying, yeah, the Lord said to me, Lord said this, Lord said that. You ever see people, you know, the Lord said? Well, I say the Lord said because I believe he said. But just because I heard him say it and I say that he said it, that doesn't mean it's automatically going to come to pass. I still need to pray it too. I still need to pray it too. Why? Because there's spiritual resistance in this earth. We're here and we're not here by ourselves. We're not in a vacuum. There are demonic spirits and satanic things happening. And the enemy is inspiring many people to say many things. So we need to earnestly pray 
like Elijah did to see these things come to pass. Now listen to what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18. He said, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, according to the prophecies. What are prophecies? This is the word of the Lord. This is personal words from the Lord to and about Timothy. He said, according to the prophecies made. Some people think if, if somebody gives you a personal prophecy that it's automatic. It'll automatically come to pass, but that's not true. That's not true. If somebody says to you, you know, you're seeking the Lord and you're fervently following him and somebody says the Lord's saying to you that he's going to use you in a mighty way he's going to use you to do this or that or the other well then if two weeks later you you know you meet somebody and they're not a believer and you begin to hang out with them and date them and then you go off and you stop serving the Lord and such does that mean oh no it's still all going to happen because it was a prophecy no way not a chance no prophecies are conditional prophecies are conditional they're not absolute. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy. He said, I charge, I, 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 this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them, by the prophecies, you may wage the good warfare. You have to war to see it come to pass. Why? You're not warring against God. He's the one that's telling you he wants it to come to pass. You're warring against the flesh, and you're warring against the enemy resisting you. How many of you know, for Jesus, who was told by God and sent by God to die for the sins of the world, how many of you know he had to war to bring it to pass? In the Garden of Gethsemane, he had to go to war because there was a war being waged to stop him. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. There is sorrow that goes along with bringing the will of God to pass in the earth. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if it's like, oh, yeah, it's just going to be great. You're just always going to have an emotional high to do the will of God in the earth. No, we're in a fallen world. We're against wickedness. And the Lord speaks something, but we need to pray it through. And Jesus prayed apparently several hours in the Garden of Gethsemane to get this thing through. Not my will, but yours be done. There was resistance in his own emotions, in his own mind. Isn't that right? And yet he had to pray it through. And thank God he did. He didn't just prophesy, which he did. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be raised third day. He prophesied that. But notice, he also had to go to prayer. How many of you can see this? This is what Jesus is teaching us. You need rhema prayers. You need to hear what I'm saying to you. And yes, you can declare it and receive it, but then you need to pray it. I remember we were going through something with one of our children. And I mean, I, the devil was able to pull a, a fast one. I mean, just a big deception. And it was dark and it was deep. And I mean, it was potentially devastating, destructive. I mean, it was bad. And, and so... Man, I, I come to the Lord, oh, and Kimberly too, come to the Lord and looking into his word and receiving. What are you saying, Lord? What are you saying? I know the promises are true. It's not that I doubt the promises. But in this situation, it's not just my will. There's somebody else involved here. And this kid has more authority over their lives than I do because it's them. You understand? 
See, so when you're dealing with somebody else, like, oh. And so I would come and, and then the Lord would minister through passages like Isaiah 54, 13. All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, not about the Lord. By the Lord. By the Lord. And, and letting the Lord minister this to me so that not only I knew it said it, but I heard him saying it to me about my child. But then, once I do, it brings faith. But the war's not over. Now I need to go and earnestly pray because there are demons and a satanic plan to stop the promise of God, to shortcut it. And so I need to go and I need to pray. Not to please God so that he'll say, okay, now I'll do it. No, he's already released the word to do it. He was already on board. But it's my job here on the earth to take what was said to me from the logos of the word, the rhema that is said to me from the word, where he's verifying, no, this belongs to you. He, it's my job to take that, and now I need to go, and I need to pray, and I need to declare this is the way that it will be. In the name of Jesus, Satan, you're not going to do this. I bind you. I command every strategy, every scheme against this child to be loosed and to... to to be dismantled in the name of Jesus, I pull down every stronghold. And now what am I doing? I am warring. There is, there is personal prophecy. And here's another thing. This child has had personal prophecy, right, given. But somebody's got to wage a war for this to happen. Do you understand? See, listen, this is the way this works in the earth. It's easy for God to do miracles, but because of the spiritual resistance, he needs his representatives on the earth to hear what he's saying, to receive it, to allow them their own pruning to happen so that they can be in a position to receive it. And then to wage the good warfare and pray this through. Can you see that? Oh my goodness, look at the time. How many of you see the revelation? And, and let, me, let me say this. Jesus is telling all of you, I want to do this with you. You are not disqualified. You can disqualify yourself. You can hear what I'm saying and not receive it. You may even nod your head and say amen and not receive it. Or you can say, Jesus, I want this. I hear you speaking and I'm speaking too. I'm saying yes to you. I'm saying, yes, I want this. I want to live this way. I want to be pruned. And your mind, while you're even having that conversation, your mind will say, but I don't want to give that up. And I don't want to give this up because I like that. And you, from your born-again spirit, have to tell your mind, shut up, mind. You are not in charge. I have given my life to Jesus. I have spoken on behalf of myself, spirit, soul, and body. And my born-again spirit is now in charge. And I am saying, I will give up whatever the Lord wants me to give up. I will be obedient and do whatever he wants me to do. I will receive from Jesus. I will prophesy it. And I will pray it through because it is the will of God in the earth. And many of these prophetic prayers have nothing to do with you. 
But there are people that have needs. And the Lord is looking for someone he can use to fight, to see them come into the kingdom, to see them delivered, to see them healed. And Jesus is saying, I need you. I need you. And don't worry about whether you've made mistakes. I will wash you. That's my job. Let me wash you. Don't be embarrassed for me to get my hands on your feet. Let me wash you. Let me clean you. But work with me that I might do mighty things through you. Let me speak. And then you speak. And then you pray. And it will happen. And the Father will be glorified. And you'll be my disciples because that's what I did. Oh, I don't know about you, but I feel honored that Jesus, after all of our mistakes, would still be saying this to us and saying, yeah, come on, let's start right now. So what should we do? Well, based on this process, we should stop and say, I hear you speaking to me and I'm instantly saying yes. Come on, let's stand. Let's do that. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, lift, lift your hands and begin to tell him, Jesus, yes, yes, Jesus, yes, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus, yes. I say yes. I say yes. My mind has questions. My mind may argue, but from my born again spirit, I'm saying yes, yes, and yes, 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 Jesus. Do this in me. Wash me. Wash me, Lord. Prune me. Prune me, Lord. Make me the person I'm called to be. Lord, strengthen me by the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Carry me along, oh Lord. I'm giving you permission. I'm, I'm inviting you to do this in me. Strengthen me to overcome the enemy and my own mind and my own emotions. Strengthen me, Lord, that I will not hold back that you may be glorified and that you may accomplish your plan in the earth that the Father may be pleased that I might be like you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm thinking of the scripture right now, Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in us both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Let me, let me simplify that. For it is God who works in you both to want to do it and to follow it through and get it done. It is God. He's not expecting you to supply all of the want to nor all of the strength to get it done. He's saying, I'll help you, but invite me in. Invite me in. I'll help you. I'll help you. I'll help you. Let's ask the Lord, Lord, Strengthen me to want to do this and strengthen me to do it. Strengthen me to want to and strengthen me to do it. Strengthen me to want to and strengthen me to do it. You know what I hear? Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Thank God. Thank God. Let's say this out loud together. Lord Jesus, I trust you 
I'm saying yes to you. I'm not going to listen to my mind or my emotions. I'm listening to you. I hear you and I'm saying yes to you. This is our relationship. Strengthen me now to do it. Wash me, prune me, prepare me, and use me for your glory. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You strengthen me, Lord. And I declare it in the name of Jesus. That's the way it'll be. In Jesus' name. And can we say amen and clap our hands in agreement today? Amen. Thank you for the word. Thank you for joining us today on the Jerry Dearman podcast. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this message and others like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives and the ministry of Jerry Dearman, visit solidlives.com slash give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to join us on our daily podcast or on YouTube for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. Each day, Jerry reads through a chapter of the New Testament and gives us key insights and applications for our lives. What a great way to start your day as you journey with us through the New Testament as you never have before. Thank you again so much for joining us and we'll see you next time.